0: From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 323. Today's show is brought to you by Hover, DoorDash, and Pingdom. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined by Jason Snell. Hi, Jason Snell.
1: Hi, Mike Hurley. How are you?
0: Very good. This is one of the uh, product review episodes of the fall. It is. There's going to be one of mm, many, I think, as we lead up to the rest at the end of the year.
1: Every year, I think Apple has done too much... Mm-hmm. And uh, and then the next year they just uh, do it again, or they do more, and it just it just keeps on happening. It's the relentless pace of Apple's fall, and we're in it now. We're deep in it.
0: I'm sure it's going to be fun for you when it comes to uh, putting the report card together.
1: Oh boy! And the upgradeies. Let's just pr- let's just tease everything that happens mm-hmm. at the end of the year. <laughs>
0: There's a lot of stuff that happens every year, especially towards the end of the year. But we have a whole episode to get to today, and it will begin with a hashtag Snell talk question from Ty, and Ty wants to know, how often do you change the background on your iPhone?
1: Unfortunately, this is going to be a really boring answer, because the answer is almost never. Okay. A couple of years ago, they came out with those, um, the rainbow Apple logo stripe backgrounds, right? and I thought those were great, the six color rainbow Apple logo, Mm -hmm. and I set one of those as my iPhone background. And it's still my iPhone background, so I, I would say it's it's a couple of years usually, and even my lock screen has basically been the same for for two or more years at this point. So, uh, rare for me, very rare. How about you, Mike? Are you a are you a frequent no wallpaper changer?
0: No, it's once every couple of years at most. Yeah. Oh, there. You know, something might change it if something happens or I come across something specific, but it's very unlikely. Like you know, if I charted it, it's probably multiple years. For me to make those changes before I do. Right. Yep, same. If you would like to send in a question to help us answer, uh, to help us begin an episode of the show that we can answer, just send out a tweet with the hashtag #SnellTalk, and yours may be included for a future episode. If you're in the RelayFM members Discord, use the command question mark #SnellTalk. I have a couple of follow-up items. Well, I guess the first one is follow out uh, We were both mm. uh, you. You invited me to join a panel. Uh, on the incomparable to talk about the Apple TV Plus television program Ted Lasso, which I, we've mentioned in passing many times uh, on this show, but we didn't get into any detail about it because I knew that I was going to be on this panel uh, along with uh, James Thomson, Dan Moran, and Kelly Gamont, Elian Sims, uh, Glenn Flashman, and yourself. Um, yep, it was fantastic. I loved it. I really it's an loved incomparable
1: it. episode. There's lots of people. Yep, uh, and we added you because yeah, I, uh, I wanted a little in. more, little more uh, London, a little more London football knowledge. Mm-hmm to drop... I don't know if I have much of that, but I did
0: have uh, yeah. what it is to be a Londoner and to live uh-huh. in London. I could I could yes. definitely add that to the mix. Uh, I really wanted to be on the show because I really wanted to talk about Ted Lasso uh, because, like many people, um, you know, I, I consider it one of my favorite television shows in a very long time for reasons that are typically not why I like television shows, I think, because uh, uh-huh. it's, it's a very different type of program. Uh, we're not going to rehash it here. You should go listen to episode 537 of The Incomparable, where we spoke about it at length,
1: yes, yes, and that's our second Apple TV Plus show to get the incomparable treatment after *For yep. All Mankind*. So, we we pick our spots there. But Ted Lasso demanded, just demanded it,
0: which is unlike Ted, really. I think to, to make a demand
1: like it's that. He's a very polite gentleman. That's true. No, it was his actions. His actions demanded it. Like there his actions made it necessary. He inspired us. How about that? He inspired us.
0: French upgradians came out in force, which I was very surprised about. Nobody got upset at our accents. Instead, they gave us all the follow-up that we required. We received this many, 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 many times, but I believe the first was from Simon, who sent us in a picture of their own iPhone box that included the earpods. We were wondering, how is Apple going to package the uh, particular uh, box for uh, French customers, who require, because of laws which are interesting, that there are earpods in the box with the new iPhones, unlike anywhere else in the world. Well, it turns out that they put the earpods in a box and then the iPhone in that box, and it's is a big outside box with the iPhone box inside. It's a box inside of a box, everybody. That's how they did it. Um, there's a link in the show notes if you want to see uh, the tweet that Simon sent in. But basically, that's what they're doing. Uh, Simon did also mention that the iPhone is a little bit more expensive in France than it is in Germany. So it seems like Apple may, potentially, have increased the price of the phone a little (laughs) in France to account for the included AirPods.
1: That's great. I love that there's a box within a box. Yeah. like a cheap, lousy outside box. Box in a box. box, box in a box. Yep. Should we do some upstream headlines? I think so. It's been a little while. Let's uh, let's get into it. There's a lot going on.
0: There was a lot going on. There was this. Uh, we talked. We spoke about the possibility of this, and it has now been announced. Apple TV and uh, the Apple TV app and Apple TV Plus content will be available on the PlayStation Five at launch. Uh, so this was something that we'd seen rumored that Apple was trying to get these uh, their streaming services and their applications onto these games consoles, which are, you know, both the PlayStation and the Xbox are like content boxes and it's very normal. And actually all of the streaming services Will have an app uh, on the consoles, and Apple is now joining them. Um, this is the, I don't think every uh, content gets, every like content partner gets this, but this is the, the package of it is Apple TV Plus content. So if you want to watch any of the Apple TV Plus shows, you can, but also any TV show or movie you have bought in the iTunes app or the movies app, whatever it's called now, will also show uh, as you have bought on your PlayStation 5. So there you go it's like another great way for people to get like you know the 4K content, the HDR content yep. which i expect uh will be available because the PlayStation 5 supports all of that.
1: Everybody's streaming services should be available everywhere. Yeah, right. <laughs> yes. That's how that should work.
0: And you know, this was going back a long time but we were really concerned that Apple would not do that. Um and i think that they definitely chose the right path in following the industry conventions here because it allows for their content to get out. And when, you know, you we look at a show like Ted Lasso, which I think has got a lot of word of mouth behind it, if the only way to get that was to then buy an Apple TV, it wouldn't work. But if you yeah. already own a Roku or, or a, um, you own a PlayStation 5 right when it comes out, and you're like, oh, the Apple app is here. I hear people talking about that Ted Lasso. I'll check it out. That's the only way that you can build that business. Um, if the enforce it by making people spend hundreds of dollars to buy a box first, it's just not going to work.
1: Well, this actually came up with the um, announcement that Apple, uh, which we mentioned I think last week, uh, signed the distribution deal with the owners of the Peanuts cartoons. Yep. And the story in America is that um, they have been on broadcast TV on a network. Even mm-hmm. though they're very old, they're from the like early 70s, um, late 60s and early 70s, they um, are still aired every year on network TV. And it's become a tradition, especially the Christmas one. And um, ABC had the, it was CBS for the longest time, but it's been ABC the last few years and their contract ran out and, as far as anyone can tell, I think this has been confirmed unofficially like behind the scenes. Apple's the only one that has it now. like there will be no broadcast of Charlie Brown Christmas, yeah um, in the US, which is a huge deal. but again, it's so it's on Apple TV plus, but here's the thing. Apple has gone so far with distribution of Apple TV+, Plus that you can actually just go to, I think it's tv.apple.com, mm-hmm. in a web browser on any platform, essentially, and watch Apple TV+. Plus. And, of course, they're yep. making those holiday, Peanuts holiday specials available for about three days, four days around the individual holidays. So, uh, so even though... It's very different because you got to have an internet connection that can stream video, as opposed to free over-the-air television, which which reaches different people. So it's not the same, and there are debates to be had about access to this kind of content. But I will say that Apple, you know, Apple making it free isn't enough. Apple also has to make it available, and and this shows that Apple has. has built out apple tv plus to be in a whole lot of places including all the way back to do you have a web browser Mm -hmm. then you can see this stuff including presumably the free thing but also you could pay for apple tv plus and literally literally just watch it on a windows laptop in a browser and it should work
0: apple's partnership with a24 is bringing yet another movie to tv plus this time starring scarlett johansson Directed by uh, Sebastian Lilleo, I believe is how you pronounce that. Uh, it is a genre-bending movie called Bride. This is a quote from Deadline. The plot follows a woman created to be an ideal wife, the singular obsession of a brilliant entrepreneur. When she rejects her creator, she's forced to flee her confined existence, confronting a world that sees her as a monster. It is on the run that she finds her true identity, a surprising power, and the strength to remake herself as her own creation. <laughs>
1: Seems like it's a bri- kind of it's pride of Frankenstein. Yeah. It's pride of Frankenstein, but modern interesting. and yeah, interesting.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Apple has shared the trailer for Servant Season 2. So this is the M. Night Shyamalan show. Yep. Uh, premieres January 15th. 10 episodes That's- coming each Friday.
1: See, the t- season twos are, are starting to appear. I, d- I did not watch Servant Season 1. We can
0: see why they did that <laughs> extension to February now, can't we? Because everything's coming out in January.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And and uh, I think For All Mankind is is, uh, is going to premiere at some point, mm-hmm. probably in that ballpark. And the morning oh, show man. we know is being shot now. And like they're... Yeah. Yeah. This is why we... <laughs> this is why we observed the extension, because they need more time to roll this stuff out. Because you know that, you know, without a pandemic, they would have had a big fall rollout. Yep. We'd be in the midst of it right now. Yep. But that's not what happened. We don't live in that timeline. so And it all uh, would have been timed, as they're
0: timing it now, that the trials will end. Uh, the free year yeah. will end halfway through the seasons being aired. Which is, that's when it, that's what they should have done the whole time. It's what they're doing now. Uh, that, that, yeah, go for it. Big hubbub uh, over the last couple of days uh, that Apple and Netflix were rumoured to have approached MGM regarding acquiring rights to the next Bond movie. Uh, This has been reported in many places, in many ways. Uh, Some outlets saying that MGM were willing to talk about it, but they wanted $600 million, and apparently Apple and Netflix weren't sure about this. Um, No Time to Die is the Bond movie. It's been heavily delayed at this point, currently postponed to potentially be released in April 2021. Uh, as you noted in our document, the rumor has been shut down by MGM. Uh, and they, at this point, seem pretty firm on a theatrical release. Personally, I still think that that uh, this bomb movie going to a streaming service is a possibility. I, I would feel that MGM are testing the waters. I reckon that there is smoke to this rumor, uh, or f- smoke where there's fire kind of thing.
1: So I agree to a point with you, but the point is, the the way that I think a lot of people are reading this is that they're going to come up with, it's going to be a, a deal where the, there's an easy exchange of money and then um, movies that we don't get to see because they're not going to be in theaters for a long time will just not be in theaters, and while we're here in the mm-hmm. pandemic, we can just watch them on our TV screens. And people wish for that, and so they want to see it. Um, and, and could it happen? Sure. The problem is that when you abandon theatrical revenue, you take an enormous hit because a Bond movie in theaters is going to be worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. Right. And just releasing it, even if you do a trolls world tour kind of thing and you, you know, and you sell it uh, or a Moana kind or Moana, Mulan, a Mulan kind of thing. And you've got like, Oh, well if it's $30 or whatever, um, very hard. Even then to come close to what you'd make in theatrical. Plus, don't forget you have to subtract what you would have made on home video cuz you just did home video right and so you're not going to have that window and you know bottom line is we are not the business model and the money are not going to map from theatrical down into yep. first run theatrical in your house they don't they don't map they're different and that means in the long run that may be what happened that may that may happen And all the budgets for movies are gonna have to change because right now all these are enormous budget movies because they can make huge money because they remember, we've spent decades now building up that movie theaters are basically only for blockbusters. Yeah. They're only for things that are suitable for large screens that you can get huge amounts of money in. And
0: that if you have a good one, you'll make a billion dollars.
1: Exactly right.
0: Like the last Bond movie, Spectre, grossed eight hundred and eighty million. Yeah. Now that I see that I didn't know it was that high. I now uh, adjust my thinking. I do think they're go Personally, I think they're going to have to do this. But I understand why MGA don't want to.
1: So this is the trick. This is the trick. So in the long run, if it turns out the theatrical is just not going to happen anymore to the degree that it used to, what will happen is the strategy will change and mm-hmm. they'll make movies that are cheaper. But they've got these movies that they made under the old rules that may still be the new rules. They may not be. We don't know. Nobody knows when movie theaters will be open everywhere because there are lots of markets where the virus is ramping up and the movie theaters are closing where they're going to be closing and then when they open how comfortable are people going to be sitting in an enclosed space with uh, random people for especially packed movie theater on a new release for three hours two and a half hours that is going to take a while it's going to take a while so we don't know what the fact is but if it comes back uh, then they'll keep on doing what they're doing. And if it doesn't, they'll change and they'll make cheaper movies. But in the meantime, we've got these movies made under the old rules, assuming those are true. Mm-hmm. And you, if you're MGM, you're like, well, and, and we've seen everybody do this. We've got a big tentpole movie and we're going to move it because we sp- have already spent hundreds of millions of dollars on this thing. And if we... If we wait it out, wait the virus out and put it in a theater, we'll, we'll make our money back and we'll make a profit. If we give up, we're really just cutting our losses, but we're guaranteeing our losses. Um, and, and that's, that's a tough one to do, especially if you don't own the, for example, streaming service to which value can accrue. So like Pixar has a movie that is by all accounts, a great movie, Soul, Soul yeah. which is coming to Disney+. Plus. It's going to premiere on Disney Plus. It's just not going to go to theaters.
0: And they're not doing the Mulan thing. It's just if they're doing the Hamilton yeah. model. It's just
1: they're doing the Hamilton yeah. thing. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. But like, Pixar is owned by Disney. It it loses money for Disney, but it also promotes Disney Plus and accrues value to Disney Plus. And so you can bite the bullet. You can get away with it. You're like, well, okay, we might as well put it on Disney Plus. We're going to lose some money, but it, it, we gain cachet for Disney Plus, and that's you know that's the the next best thing but if you're MGM you can't do that MGM is looking at like we put all this money into this movie we need to make the money back we need 700 million 600 million
0: MGM is always struggling financially and they need James Bond right James Bond makes MGM is my understanding yeah and, but so like you know the way that this could work is is Apple going to give MGM a billion dollars for James Bond because that's what they're going to you know that could be what they want is it possible i probably not probably not a good thing but, to do but who knows
1: but this is this is the trick is the negotiation isn't pay us what we would, what we would have made Without a pandemic, because there's a pandemic. The negotiation is, how much are you willing to pay for exclusivity on your streaming service of this James Bond movie that will drive, presumably drive people to subscribe in order to watch this movie? Um, or, Or, I don't know what, like, maybe there are other models there too, but let's just assume it's simple and it's like James Bond movie premieres on Netflix or on Apple TV or whatever. How much are you willing to pay us? And internally, as MGM, we're thinking how are we ever going to get to release this? Yep.
0: And if and if and when we do, will we never make the money that they would have given us because no one's going to go and see it and they'll wait for it to come to home for cinema? Right,
1: because they delayed Tenet, right? And then they finally released Tenet and Tenet didn't do well because we there were lots of places where in the US where the movie theaters weren't open and the 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 number of people who were going was very small and, and you could wait it out. But like at one point, are you saying, well, we're not going to release No Time to Die until... You know, 2022 or something like that. Like at some point, you gotta release it, I would think. And you you are betting that the that the theater market, the theatrical market's gonna come back. But I think if you look at what people thought in April or May, they would have thought that December would have a theatrical market back, and that's mm-hmm. not gonna happen mm-hmm. in a lot of places. And so that's that's what's weighing on MGM is is there a is there amount an amount of money. That allows us to cut our losses, actually get paid for this thing and get it off of our plate instead of having it just sit there where we just have to wait until hope. Because if it was certain that theaters would be open at 100% box office in August of next year. MGM would just say we're coming out in August of next year, and they'd Warner would move Wonder Woman to August of next year. Like everybody would be like, great, if we've got a guarantee that the box office is back, that moment, that weekend when the box office is back, we're there. But nobody knows, and so that uncertainty means that you have these kind of interesting negotiations. So if I, if I had a bet, I'd bet that this is not happening. But never say never right like i i don't know what motivates mgm i don't i don't know (laughs) yes well you can say it the one time just never say it again Mm -hmm. so uh we'll see because the truth is somebody may make uh, mgm an offer that they can't refuse that's a godfather movie that's totally different anyway uh point. it's fascinating to watch this because this is this is about like money invested that that's like sunk cost <laughs> and you're like do we get a little bit back now or do we do we double down and hope for the best coming up later but what i do want to I, I just want to restate that i've seen a lot of people especially tech people, people in our sphere, saying, Oh, just put it on home video. It's great. Like charge thirty bucks or whatever and it'll work out. And, well, and the truth is it won't work out. Well, because they are not for if they do something like that, they're not gonna make a hundred million dollars. They're yeah. not. They're gonna make less than that. I wish, I wish it were that simple. Trust me. All of these movies that have been delayed would just get released on home video if it was a one-to-one equivalent or even, I don't know, maybe even a two-to-one equivalent or one-to-one-half equivalent uh, in terms of money, but it's not. Like, it's not. The money in theatrical has been enormous, and they really don't want to bypass that if they can avoid it.
0: I wonder what the whole James Bond back catalog is worth you know like is there a yeah. deal i don't know what the rights are that mgm have I, I don't think james bond is available for streaming anywhere i don't think i, I don't recall it but you know I, is there a situation where mgm can wrap it all up to someone and ask for like 2 billion for it i mean the entire james bond back catalog streaming on a streaming service would be very valuable
1: yeah i think the only place it's streaming is on pluto tv with ads which is that uh, Viacom CBS owns that, right? Um, I don't know. The rumor about MGM was always that they were going to get bought by somebody. That somebody was going to buy them and you know and buy out them and Eon or whoever owns all the rights to to James Bond and basically like take it all and just absorb it into a, a larger entity,
0: like one of the tech companies, you know, Netflix, Amazon, well,
1: here, Apple. Here, the more, the more. Desperate that MGM gets, the more likely something like that is to happen. <laughs> They're
0: all just pushing them. No, you wait.
1: You just wait. <laughs> we'll talk about it later on. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Check back with me later. Anyway, it's fascinating to watch this because that's a very difficult situation that everybody who has spent hundreds of millions of dollars on a movie expecting hundreds of millions of dollars or a billion dollars back and. Has been left, like the music stopped, and there's no chair to sit on, (laughs) and they're like, "Uh, uh, what do we do now?" So, um, it's it's fascinating to watch. We'll see.
0: Last thing we have to talk about,
1: at least a little bit,
0: Uh, Quibi is is shutting down.
1: Yeah, Quibi. We talked about it a little bit. This is the quick bites service. The idea that what you really want is not uh to watch a movie when you're in the checkout line or play a video game. You want to watch a very short video. Um, and uh, this is the Jeff- Jeffrey Katzenberg-led service. Couldn't take screenshots. It wasn't available on anything but phones. It was a bad idea. Somebody wrote in to us a few months ago and said, uh, what, what about Quibi? And basically, we made fun of it and said, it's a disaster waiting to happen. Yeah. And that was, you know, I think even before the pandemic, we thought that. But then after oh, yeah. the pandemic happened, it's like, well, who is out and about where they would watch Quibi things? I... I think the short version of Quibi is Jeffrey Katzenberg's historic uh, success in the entertainment industry <sighs> convinced a lot of overly credulous investors. It bought him
0: some clap. that
1: that they could invest. They were investing in the confidence and savvy of Jeffrey Katzenberg, and he had a plan, and that they didn't understand mobile video or anything that the kids are into, but surely Jeffrey Katzenberg understands it. And so we're going to invest in him and he's going to figure this thing out. And I think that, that you could look at it and say, this is essentially, you know, it's a bad idea by people who didn't really get how people use mobile devices for entertainment, Mm -hmm. um, who convinced other people who knew even less than them that they had the answers. And, everybody who knew better looked at it and said there's no way this makes sense and they raised a lot of money and are now shutting down and my the only question i've got is did they spend all that money or yes. did or did they get to the point where they realized that they were that they were not going to make it and they were going to hand back what what portion of the money they hadn't spent in order to exit in order to not burn all of their bridges with investors for the future, and that part I don't know because mm-hmm. I don't understand how they could have spent the billion plus dollars that they spent. But apparently, you know, it's Hollywood. The lunches are expensive, or, or something. Wasn't
0: Katzenberg the thing where it was like he was having three breakfasts, three, yeah, yeah, yeah
1: three power breakfasts followed by power lunches, and uh-huh. those those are all very nice restaurants, I'm sure. And and the yeah, it's uh, it's Quibi. It didn't make it. No one is surprised.
0: It is, you know, every take has been shared about Quibi at this point. But like the one thing that I'll say about it is, it is actually quite rare in technology for a, a, a hunch that you have to be proven right so fast. You know, I I never thought that this would succeed. Pandemic, no pandemic. It was just a flawed. I, I honestly feel yeah. like that the hypothesis was flawed. That for some reason, if you cut a movie up into ten minute segments, people will want it more than anything else when you can just press pause whenever you want. Um, And also all of the content exists for free in other places. You can get so much content for free. So it just never really made sense to me that this service had to exist. And everything that was a selling point about it just seemed to completely miss the mark. And it wasn't like all of the other streaming services that are just put putting their time and effort into making good content that you can consume in whatever way suits you. They decided that they would focus in areas that didn't make sense. And, you know, we spoke about it. And, you know, I'm sure people can go back and we'll find times when we said, this is not going to work. And it is so rare that that occurs within six months.
1: Um, yeah. So. Well, I mean, credit to Quibi for failing fast, I yeah. guess. But um, also worth mentioning... Um, Quibi's business model included getting around union restrictions by claiming that they were doing shorts instead of like TV shows. And they were doing that by basically claiming that each episode was a short instead of it being like an episode of a TV show. But it was all just kind of just, uh, hand waving to get away with not having to pay for stuff. And then secondly, the thing we mentioned a while ago, which is this perception that they wanted big names. And so the big names didn't really want to be on Quibi, but if their ideas had been rejected everywhere else, they would go to Quibi and Quibi would pay for it, which meant you got a lot of second rate stuff on Quibi. It was never seen as a place that you brought your good ideas. It was a place that you cashed in your bad ideas that previously would have gone in a drawer. And instead Jeffrey Katzenberg would write you a check and so you'd say yes and uh, that was quibby past tense
0: this episode is brought to you by hover one of relay fm's longest running sponsors when you have that big idea that thing that you want to make Where do you go? Your business starts with a domain name. For many entrepreneurs, Hover is that first big step. They have over 300 domain name extensions that you can choose from. So no matter what it is that you want to build, there is a domain name waiting for you. They also have excellent technical support to answer any questions that you may have. Hover are dedicated to getting you online and not upselling you, which is why they give you free Whois privacy on any domain that supports it so bad guys don't get your information. They make a website and tools and services that are really easy to use and navigate. Um, so one of the things that I really love about Hover is just how quickly it is for me to search for a domain and then set it up, maybe forward it somewhere else. So simple to do. You're in and out in a minute. Maybe you've always wanted to try live streaming. This is a thing that I've been getting into a little bit more recently. Why not grab a .live domain and redirect it to your streaming platform? I grabbed mike.live and I love that domain. And You can get one for yourself over at Hover. .live is actually one of the, I think like one of the really good ones, like there are a lot of domain extensions that don't make much sense to me. Like I don't personally imagine there'll be many like .diamond uh, (laughs) websites in the world. But .live, I think makes a lot of sense. I think that's a great one. It's like, you know, like, like we have .tv, .fm. I think .live fits really nicely. So go check it out for yourself today. Go grab yourself a new domain name right now over at Hover. Uh, they are really the best. Buy your domain right now and start using it today. Go to hover.com/upgrade and you will get a ten percent discount on all new purchases. That is hover.com/upgrade. A thanks to Hover for their support of this show and Relay FM. Hover. Make an a name for yourself with Hover. All right, Jason Snell, let's talk a little bit about the iPad Air 4. So you had one of these for review. Um, I really liked the way that you positioned this review in a couple of areas. Uh, One was calling saying almost pro, which I liked a lot. And then also talking about uh, basically this being the cheapest laptop that you can buy from Apple. Uh, So, but to start off, I want to start off with one of the main things that you began with in the review, which is basically talking about how this product is almost too good and why that is an interesting thing to see in Apple's confidence, right?
1: Yeah. So the Pro, I mean, we've talked about it here before. The idea is that they brought so many iPad Pro features down. This is basically an iPad Pro, a slightly cheaper iPad Pro, and it's good, like... It reminded me of all the things that we reacted to it back in uh, 2018 when the iPad Pro sort of second design generation came out, mm-hmm. where the flat sides and the back, and it's just, it's so nice. It's such a nice design. I think this, you know, flat sides design has legs, Mike. I think Apple should bring it to other products. Anyway, oh, okay. um, Interesting. And The and then um, you throw in that it's the, Uh, One of the features that they brought, that's a Pro feature that they brought to it, is it's the size of the 11-inch Pro, so it fits the Magic Keyboard. Mm -hmm. And you throw that in there, and yes, it's true, the Magic Keyboard is not cheap. It's a very large percentage of the price of the iPad Air, but... At the base model of the iPad Air, you can now get uh, that and a Magic Keyboard for eight ninety eight, which is makes it one hundred dollars, one dollars cheaper than the cheapest Mac laptop. So I guess this is Apple's low end laptop, sort of, right now, lowest end laptop. And then, of course, you could also buy a totally different keyboard. You could buy the Logitech case. There, you know, you there are lots of other things you could do to make this into a laptop ish thing for cheaper than that, of course. But the Magic Keyboard. Um, is the most laptop-y, I think, of all of the options. So a really interesting product. Again, half interesting for what it is, because what it is really is sort of a light version of that iPad Pro from 2018. But the other half of it is, you know, what it implies about the rest of the iPad line, because, like, it's so clear. This is so close to the iPad Pro. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make sense unless the iPad Pro is about to become something different.
0: The only place where that, because I love that, like the laptop analogy, because I'll just say, like the Magic Keyboard is amazing. It's probably the best accessory Apple has ever made. Like what it does to the iPad, like it completely changes the product, makes it something else. It really is fantastic, beautifully designed, so well made. I absolutely love the Magic Keyboard, the the, the one with the trackpad for the iPad. Um, But the only place where the analogy of like the cheapest laptop kind of falls down for me is the storage, which is where the iPad Air falls down for me in general. So, yeah. you know, like the the iPad, uh, the MacBook Air starts at nine 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 for two hundred and fifty six gigabytes of storage, where yeah. the iPad Air starts at sixty four, which I think 64. is really bad. I, I in for an iPad sixty four gigabytes is not enough. That this thing should be, I mean, because especially when you have to jump up to two fifty six, this should That's be starting right. at one twenty eight. I, I I I know that. <laughs> I know that it is a a trend. It is maybe an annoying trope of uh, Apple-focused tech podcasters to complain about base storage options, but I think that this product, with how good it is, it's you know, it's so close to a no-brainer for me for people, except for that 64 gigabytes, because. I- I- you you jump up one more level and then the price difference becomes even closer between that and the comparable iPad Pro. And, and I just think it's yeah, frustrating. If,
1: if you get the 256 model, it's $150 less than the iPad Pro. So you're big like, oh, it's way cheaper is gone.
0: Because then when you're $150 away, I would kind of say, if you can go for the Pro where, you know, if, yeah, well, if or
1: go up $50 and get the 128 Pro. Right.
0: Yes, that is exactly what I would recommend people do. I'd forgotten <laughs> about that. Right, because then you are getting the additional features that this lacks. But if this started yeah. at 128, it's like this is the no-brainer iPad. But for me, started at 64, there's a question mark
1: around it. But that's why that's why it doesn't, in a way. And I would say, you know, I get the criticism. I've seen a lot in. Uh, we're going to talk about the iPhone in a little bit of uh, questioning about like how much iPhone storage do you really need? And I like that people are looking. I looked at my iPhone the other day about how much storage... Because I have a a large storage iPhone. (laughs) And I looked, and I'm using none of it. I'm using none of it I am
0: particularly sensitive to this, especially on my iPhone, because I store all my photos locally. But I think on an iPad... That's not... I know. But that's
1: not that's not a common that's not no, a common I, know. That's not, I, I know, but
0: that's not what I'm talking about here, right? Like for, I'm ignoring that from the situation because like I know that I am a, an edge case there, but okay. I have enough but space on, on my phone to do it. But the iPad, you know, it is in essence in many ways, like the best type of consumption device. So you're gonna wanna put movies on it, right? You're gonna wanna put video on it. Once you start doing that, I mean, very quickly you've lost. But it. I
1: think that's only true. I think that's only true if you don't have. If you're going someplace with movies that mm-hmm. you're not going to have an internet connection. Yep. Which, which, if you travel a lot or traveled a lot in the before time and may again in the future, yes, I hear you. Like having the inability to store a handful of movies before you go on a long trip. It, it stinks. But mm-hmm. that's the I think that's the decision that everybody is gonna have to make. But I do think for a vast number of people, sixty four in an iPad is fine because they're using the cloud and they're streaming and it doesn't yeah. matter. But I, I do I I do agree with you and I think that sixty four is becoming what, you know, sixteen was and what thirty two was like it, it is becoming the thing where it's like it really should start at one twenty eight. And we've seen Apple elsewhere make that decision. Yeah. But, you know, the story of the iPad Air fourth generation really is that, right? It is, it is the places that Apple chose to be brave and bring down mm-hmm. iPad Pro features. And it's the choices where Apple chose not to. Like, and, and I'm not, not like they're being cowardly, but more that they're, um, they're still doing some differentiation. You know, Apple's, Apple's making these decisions knowing what the next iPad Pro is. And we don't. And so we only get half the story here, but it's still interesting to look at the differences and the similarities and see what their choices are. Cause mm-hmm. they said storage, we're not going to do storage. We're going to keep uh, at 64 uh, face ID. We're not going to do lidar. We're not going to do, but magic keyboard and, and uh, and moving the home button off and having the industrial design be identical. All of those things we are going to do apple pencil two we're going to do we're going to pick up all of the body stuff from the ipad pros and we're we're just going to roll those in here and like the the apple pencil two is so superior to the the first one having the having the screen that doesn't have the home button on the front and the big top and bottom is such a big deal like there's so many things about it that they have rolled in and then there's some that they've chosen not to like they chose not to do the the uh uh, true depth sensor bar stuff, right? It's just not there. There's a instead they went to the trouble of engineering a new Touch ID button instead.
0: How did you overall feel about the Touch ID versus Face ID?
1: I didn't realize just how many times I was authenticating without thinking about it on right. my iPad Pro. Because I, just I didn't realize that if you
0: were sp- if you are somebody who's using uh, an iPad with the Magic Keyboard, which I know you were, I can imagine it is. M- more frequently highlighted to you how you have to reach up to touch it. Yeah. Where if you're using the iPad in your hands a lot, it's probably not much of a problem because your hand is probably right so, there.
1: I Yes, it's true that if you're using it in a keyboard and you're touching the spacebar and then realizing that on the iPad Pro you just touch the spacebar and you're in. Whereas on this, if you if you use that same gesture, it doesn't work because you have to reach up, which means that you should really not use that gesture. You should use the gesture where you reach up mm-hmm. and uh press and let go and let it scan your mm-hmm. finger. And that's the gesture you should use on this because, you know, and I, I'm so trained by the iPad Pro that I do the other gesture, but that, yeah. that wouldn't be logical if you were using the iPad Air all the time.
0: And also you're unlikely to have had the iPad Pro before exactly. having this iPad Air, so right. that gesture's not ingrained for you.
1: Right. So it's a different gesture, but it does remind me that it's the gesture I that we all used to use, which is you have to reach up and touch your device somewhere in order to unlock it. And I've gotten away from that. And so, yeah, it's exacerbated by the keyboard, but I use my iPads out of the keyboard far more than I use them in the keyboards. And even then, like, you have to adjust your grip or you have to keep, you have to find a grip that keeps your finger on the home button. That's your other choice, right? But, like, it's not terrible, but, like, Face ID is almost invisible. And I think you train yourself to to just sort of forget that it's even happening. Whereas with Touch ID, it's more in your face. It's um, ironically, <laughs> as it's actually in your finger. Uh, it's more, it's it's a it's a task you have to perform to unlock your device. The beauty of Face ID when it works is that it's, it's essentially invisible. You don't have to do anything. You may be aware that you just authenticated, but you don't really have to do anything. You're just looking at your device and it works. And that's, I find that that works more often than not, a lot more often than not, but Touch ID, I mean, it works. It's great. They did a good job. It's a good feature. Mm-hmm. It, it's nice. I just, it's not as nice as Face ID. And that's the story here, right? Is like those sensors are apparently expensive. And that was a place that Apple chose to skimp a little bit. But they did put in this nice Touch ID that's, that's perfectly good. So if you're coming from a an iPad experience that doesn't have face ID then it's not going to matter to you because it's a nice implementation of of touch ID but i don't think it's as nice i had forgotten just how a ch- how big a change it was to go from touch ID to face ID on the iPad Pro
0: what did you think about using the smaller keyboard
1: you know i'd never used it before the the 11-inch mm-hmm. magic keyboard and i'm impressed at how small it is and how it makes this very compact kind of like a uh, writing machine like i'm very impressed i always think about that like if i'm somebody who's a writer and i need to work from place to place which right right now there's a lot less of that right but having the smallest a, a little a little thing that has all of my writing and gives me everything i need the smaller the better um made me think about the 11 inch macbook air like it, it that kind of thing um, the first keyboards that you could clip into a the first small iPad Pro, right? I, I was thinking about that. All of those kinds of things. And their choice to make the keys uh, normal size, the the alphanumeric keys, I think is good. I was able to type perfectly fast on it. It was all of the modifiers and especially like the, the plus minus keys that are all like fractional width. They're weird widths. That took some getting used to but you know Mm -hmm. if that's your keyboard that you use all the time you'd get used to it the problem is if you switch among keyboards it's a really weird keyboard layout because of that but you know in the grand scheme of things i think they made the right decision to shrink down the modifiers and not to shrink down the alphanumerics the alphanumerics felt good
0: i use it all the time and i really like it i think they did a great job with that small keyboard i think i use it more than the bigger one these days
1: I, you know, I immediately, I wrote my review on it, but I immediately then went back to my <laughs> iPad Pro with a big <laughs> keyboard. I was like, oh, no. oh, it's just because I, it it's more comfortable and it also is a better match for every other keyboard in my life. Mm. But, uh, but I do think they did a good job. I don't, I don't disagree. It's, it's, it's like the iPad Air itself, right? It's got some trade-offs in order to be what it is, but what it is, you can see why they made them. And, and to have that smaller size is really nice.
0: So overall, what is your kind of conclusion about the iPad Air four?
1: Well, it's it's twofold. First, if you're looking for I, I think it's a product for people who, who don't want to buy an iPad Pro. I fundamentally, I think that's what it is, is you look at the iPad Pro starting at, at uh what seven forty nine, seven ninety nine, seven ninety nine. Mm-hmm. The the eleven inch miles seven ninety nine in the US. And you say, no hmm not going to buy an $800 iPad. Well, now your choice is a little more stark at the low end where you've got the iPad, iPad that has the home button on the front and stuff like that. And then you've got this thing, which is more modern than that. It's, it's got the iPad pro look. It's got the modern Apple pencil. It's got the a 14. And I think I think it is going to appeal to people who look at those two iPads and say, "Oh, I want the nice one," mm. but but that person is not going to buy an eight hundred dollar iPad. They're just not. And so I think I think that is how Apple has positioned this. I think if you're, I think hovering all over this is what happens to the iPad Pro because I, I've definitely had people say, "Well, should I buy an eleven inch iPad Pro or should I buy this?" It's like I don't know how to answer that question, because the eleven inch iPad Pro is. If you're buying any amount of storage, you're now not very far away from the iPad Pro with this thing. So unless you're buying the base model, you're very close to that iPad Pro. But know that that iPad Pro is essentially two-year-old technology that is very clearly going to be replaced. And so for people like that, I would say, do you need to buy an iPad right now? Mm -hmm. Because if you don't, you might want to wait and see what Apple does with the iPad Pro. And then it'll, I suspect, be much clearer about what your choices are. And the reason it's hazy right now is because one of them is about to leave us <laughs> and be replaced by something different. But in the meantime, they're, they're kind of in the ballpark. So because, you know, in a lot of ways, in single, pro- single core processing tests, the iPad Air is faster because it's an A14. And in multi-core, the iPad Pro is a little bit faster because it's got more cores, even though it's an A12Z. But it's close so, enough. It's close, though. Yeah, right. So, I mean, it, it, that's what it comes back to, is if you're if you're somebody who is shopping for a high-end iPad, you might want to wait because there are going to be new high-end iPads soon, I suspect, that will be way more capable than anything Apple is selling right now. If you're somebody who doesn't really care about that, then the iPad Air is a great choice because it's got most of the features of the iPad Pro, and it's going to be cheaper. And let me tell you, <laughs> nothing... Looking looking at the space between the iPad Pro and the iPad Air has convinced me that the next iPad Pros are gonna be more expensive.
0: I was just about to ask you this question. Right. Right. I cannot see
1: how the next small iPad Pro is gonna start at seven ninety-nine. It's probably gonna start at eight or something like that, or uh, maybe eight ninety-nine. Yeah. I, I would I I am I mean, who knows? Apple does all sorts of things, but if I had to put down money I would say that the iPad Pro base price of the cheapest new iPad Pro, maybe they'll sell an old model or whatever for a while. They do that sometimes. But like the new ones that have all of the new hot stuff for 2021, they're not going to start at 799 Not with the iPad Air here. I just don't see it. So, it's so I think what's going to happen.
0: that they made that iPad Air for as exactly. good as it is,
1: right? Exactly, I think that's exactly it. Is that the iPad Air looks strangely close to the eleven now of the eleven Pro, but it won't look close to whatever in like the next iPad months. Pro is. Especially because
0: the rumors are suggesting that this the next iPad Pros will be potentially the debut of new screen technology, right? Like, I think is it micro LED, and as we've just right. seen with the iPhones screen technology improvements increase the costs, right? So like OLED in the 12 has made it more expensive than the 11 that it replaces. Uh, because, I mean, especially when these things are all screens, I'm sure that that is like a lot of the cost. Um, and so as, yeah, I could imagine that. And, and I, if yeah. they do go for a new screen, because look, we've got to assume there, we would just assume that the next iPad Pro is going to be some big leaps in some places, Right, because otherwise, this iPad Air four is just stepping all over a more expensive product. Well, that's it.
1: We just had a comment in the Discord that basically said, "Well, why? You know, there's so much power in the iPad Pro now. Essentially, why would? Why do you believe there's a new iPad Pro coming?" And my answer is, "Why does the iPad Air exist? Otherwise, like it, all of the signs point to there being another shoe to drop." And to your point, you just have to go back to the iPhone ten, or in fact, the iPhone Mm twelve this year to see that bringing in a new nice screen technology is often the point at which apple says well the prices have to go up now right like oled oled did that and if they if they have this micro led that allows them to do a true like hdr on an ipad um yeah well guess what that's gonna start at 899 or 999 who knows because
0: as well, like, you know, you just got to look at the earnings, right? The the iPad was struggling for a long time. Then the iPad Pro came around, and then the more they did on the iPad Pro, the more money the iPad, like, line made. I think mean, Apple was aware that, like, the iPad Pro is an area where they can do some wild stuff, and people will pay the money for it. Because the people that really want it, they want it, right? And, and I think that that... Has has proven out like the average kind of revenue per user or whatever they call it like the the margins Our and poop. stuff are good <laughs> on the iPad Pro line especially yeah. because of all the accessories you know uh, so it, I think it is a an area where they know they can push and I expect them to do that. All right, yeah, we we're gonna talk about the the new iPhones, but I wanted to uh, give a little bit of follow up because we said we'd talk about this. I went to a store to buy an iPhone. Um, so ah. we pre-ordered an iPhone for Adina. She went from the she went up to the uh, 12 Pro in the Pacific Blue, and we wanted to do an in-store pickup just to see what that whole situation was like. So my overall review of picking up an iPhone from Apple's Regent Street store, which is one of the flagship stores in the world, not London's biggest store. That's Covent Garden. Um, but I believe Regent, my favorite fact, I don't think is true anymore. But at a point, Regent, the Regent Street Apple Store in London made more money per square foot than any other Apple Store in the world, and it's a big mm. store. Um, so my kind of overall review of this is it was fine. It took a long time. Uh, we had a window, a pickup window of twelve to twelve fifteen. Uh, we got there at 5 to 12, and they were like, please come back at 12.15, <laughs> because with the lines. Uh, and effectively, they just had lots of lines across lots of sidewalks. So there were like, they really extended it out. They had all these stickers on the ground, right, to keep people two meters apart or whatever. And they also, you know, you've got those kinds of barriers that have like what looks like a seatbelt that goes in between them. You know what I'm talking Mm -hmm. about? Like those kind of like you put the barrier out and then there's like a rope, looks like a seatbelt. They position those to also be two meters apart. So just stand at the next post kind of thing, which I thought was quite clever. Yep. They had, like, basically lots of little holding areas. So you would get there and say, okay, get in this line, and then you'd walk through this line. Then you would get to a security person who was monitoring with somebody else who was doing another line down the street, which was the actual line that you wanted to be in, right? So you'd go through this little line. They'd do their check-in thing, you know? That's, like, want to make sure that you're in your window and all that. They'd then send you to the main line, which actually snaked around the store. was in that line for, like, 15, 20 minutes, uh, I got to the front of the store line basically and then a guy said hey have you paid for this already I said yes they said do you want me to just bring it out to you in the street and I was like yes I do so that was what I did mm-hmm. so they just went in they had a runner go in and then they brought the I never yeah. even went into the store
1: that that was my experience with the watch band as well because you it makes sense right like mm-hmm. why have more people in the store physically inside yep. if you don't have to mm-hmm. they did temperature checks
0: I had to read this thing to say I had no like they made everyone in the line was had to wear masks. Apple would provide one. Uh, I would say that like the staff was super conscious. I thought of making sure that people were safe. Like I, I really felt like they were paying a lot of attention and were going above and beyond to try and expedite stuff. Uh, So it was a long process, but I was fine with it. Uh, I'm going to do it again for the Pro Max. I'll (laughs) I'll, I'll do it again because it was like you know. I liked the idea that if I've already paid for it, I don't want to. I don't need to go in the store, right? You yeah. can just bring it out. They got it in the bag. Put it in my yeah. bag, and I go. And I and I, was I mean, like, I guess that's
1: that's great. you might be somebody who's like, well, I really want to shop for a case or whatever. But you know, there are a lot of us. And this is what happened with my watch band. It's like, no, I just want it. Mm-hmm. Just give it to me, <laughs> right? I'll walk away. And I'm like, great, here it is. Goodbye mm-hmm. and thank you. Like that was, yeah, very orderly. Like not.
0: Because it was interesting, right? I had a lot of yeah. people say to me, like... I mentioned it, be like, oh, no. This was better than when I go shop for groceries. Mm-hmm. But like a million miles. Because in the yeah. grocery store, no one's doing anything, right? Everyone's walking past each other all the time. Like, you'd line up to go in. But once you're in, you know, it's like it's it's a free-for-all, right? Um, or any store, really. Like, this yeah. was the best shopping experience I have had well, so far.
1: I-, I found out... So, um, the... Uh, liquor chain here, BevMo, um, when in the early days of the pandemic, they started this thing where you could just order online and they would basically, they were in the store and they would fill your order in the store and and you would show up and you pay online and you'd show up and they'd basically roll a shopping cart out and say here. Mm-hmm. And so I bought like beer that way. And I went in recently and I actually went into the store and I thought to myself, I think I might prefer her. As long as they're offering to fill a shopping cart with what I want and roll it out to me, I think I might prefer that. <laughs> I yeah. think I might actually like like that approach rather than going into a store where people are randomly walking around and I'm wearing a mask, and I'm feeling kind of tense so um i'm I'm glad you had this experience i think I think it shows that Apple is trying to find ways that make sense to distribute these products yep. in this way, which is good. 'Cause I um, really thought like
0: this is the stress test, right? Like they haven't had to do this yet. Apple like iPhone day. And I felt like right. it they managed it about as well as I could have imagined they could have managed it. So I I was happy with the experience overall. Like it was frustrating because we were there for a long time, I felt like. But it was but that was just kind of like oh, I wish they would hurry up. But not so much in that like I'm like, Oh,
1: how dare you, you know? I have a funny story about um, on iPhone day on Friday, I was running mm-hmm. um, just in my neighborhood. I do. I I did a couch, fi- couch to 5K program, and now I run three times-ish a week, a couple of miles. Um, and so I'm out on iPhone day, and I'm running through my neighborhood. And there are two delivery vans. There's a UPS van, and there's a white, unmarked contractor delivery van that's clearly rented. And I think to myself, oh, iphone day full of iphones (laughs) and let me tell you what was really funny about it is i am a very slow runner um but i was able to spot these these vans and uh, ultimately surpass them because they kept stopping like they'd go down like 50 feet and then they'd stop and then get out and deliver a thing because they were loaded down i think with iphones Um, And so I had that moment where I ran past the UPS truck and the guy was in the back getting something out because I was going to shout. I really was going to do it. I was like, happy iPhone day. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But then I I ran past them and and, uh, it just was a funny moment because I got to watch while I was slowly catching up to them. I got to watch the progression of the of the vans (laughs) as, as they unloaded their iPhones one by one.
0: This episode is brought to you by DoorDash. You've got so much on your to-do list, from laundry to emails to errands to who knows what else. Give yourself one less thing to worry about and let DoorDash take care of your next meal. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food that you're craving right now. Where? right to your door. Ordering is easy. Just open the DoorDash app. Choose what you want to eat from your favorite local go-tos, maybe your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle Windows, the Cheesecake Factory— And your food will be left safely outside your door with DoorDash's contactless delivery drop-off setting. DoorDash have over 300,000 partners in the U.S., Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia. So I bet they're going to have what you want right now. Jason Snell, tell me about DoorDash.
1: DoorDash is a service. Oh, you've already explained what it is. I explained what it Uh, is. We we, uh, we use it to get food when we have decided we are tired of cooking for ourselves Mm -hmm. and one of the great things about it is that if you have even a little bit of pre-planning you can actually plan your order and set a time and send it in and, uh, and forget about it And then somebody knocks at your door and leaves food there and runs away. And that means you're not uh, ordering hungry,
0: which is you just don't want to order hungry. Oh,
1: that's a mistake that you get a lot of leftovers if you order hungry. (laughs) Don't do that. Yeah. And so that's been great. We've done Chinese. We've done Indian. We've done all sorts of different uh, kinds of food. Uh, That way. And uh, pizza, I think, too, because they do pizza. Even if you've got a favorite pizza place that doesn't have its own delivery system, they will deliver from there. It's great. So uh, my daughter drove for them for a little while Mm -hmm. (laughs) and made some extra money and got to uh, deliver. And then we decided that we were going to make her drive and get food for us uh, outside of DoorDash. Uh, which she didn't appreciate, but anyway, we we it's it's very helpful, very convenient when you have that moment where you're like, I just hate everything mm-hmm. and don't want to make any food, and can we just can someone just feed me, please? And you can you can do that.
0: Right now, listeners of this show can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more. Just download the DoorDash app from the App Store and use the code UPGRADE. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download DoorDash in the App Store and use the code UPGRADE. Don't forget, that is U-P-G-R-A-D-E. You should know how to spell UPGRADE. You get that $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Our thanks to DoorDash for their support of this show and all of FM. So, Jason Snell, iPhone 12 and iPhone 12 Pro time. What phones do you have and how long have you had them?
1: I have the iPhone 12 and the iPhone 12 Pro. What colors? Uh, I have a black iPhone 12 Mm -hmm. and a graphite iPhone 12 Pro. Mm I have had them since Tuesday. so fancy. Which which is when those those embargo reviews dropped. Mm -hmm. Because if you're not in the embargo set, but you're in the next set of reviewers, you... You can tell when the embargoes are gonna drop because that's that's when, after that you is the when they send the When they send you the phones. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I've got those and I and uh and have been using them since Tuesday or um primarily since Wednesday, since Wednesday was when my iPad Air Review dropped. So yeah. I had to finish that up. But uh yeah, so I've had them for, for uh a little while, almost a week. Is
0: there one that you've been using more than another? Or do you uh, kind of split it nicely?
1: Yes, I I decided to put my SIM and connect my Apple Watch to the 12.
0: Okay. Why?
1: And and that was because I got them out of the box and I spent, you know, a few hours looking at them and holding them. And I thought to myself, I like the iPhone 12 better. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to put my thing on the iPhone 12 and carry that around because... It seems uh, really nice. And also, you know, the iPhone 12 Pro is pretty much a match for my iPhone 11 Pro. And so Mm -hmm. I thought, let's experience what life is like on the iPhone 12 instead.
0: I will say, color-wise, I think you really got the short straw with the Pro. I mean, I saw all four just through a window. I really don't like the color of the graphite. I think it's like muddy. It's a very strange color to me.
1: It's, I mean, I'm surprised they're not calling it space gray. <laughs> but yes, the it's just it's boring gray. Mm-hmm. It is it is the most boring like I don't know how to say this. Apple somehow has managed to create the most boring iPhone. <laughs> and it's this graphite iPhone 12 Pro. It's just dull if dull is your thing then this is the phone for you but i know i know i see why they they talked up the gold and the glam of the gold mm-hmm. because the gold is is supposedly you know super shiny and awesome and gorgeous and i have this you know kind of silvery gray boring iphone um but uh yeah it's boring it's fine if you put it in a case or if you're somebody who doesn't want any kind of personality on the device that you using that it's gonna be fine for you but i just looked at it and i was like oh boy this is like you know we've gone because on about black, a year. i mean you you would
0: assume black is is simple and boring but the black that they chose for the 12 and the way i think it looks really great right like it's I th- it's got a boldness to it
1: i think it looks so good in fact one of the things that made me laugh is i picked it up i picked up the iphone 12 backward and the um and the apple logo was like reflecting a light source so I, as my hand moved up it glinted and and the, the apple logo shined and i thought oh no did my phone reboot oh. <laughs> cuz i had to, and, and i realized oh no i'm looking at the back of right. the phone but it right. reminds me of the front of the phone because it's just this deep shiny black just like an off iphone screen would be and then the metal border around it is this matte the aluminum anodized black it's this matte finish. It reminds me of the black iPhone five, which when that came out, I remember being like so impressed with how it looked. Was that the like, one that, that looked... dinged up a lot? Mm, I don't know if that if there's a legend about that. I had one. I loved it. It might have gotten dinged up a little bit. I didn't care. I thought that it still mm-hmm. looked cool. But it was the it was the first like this is the all black iPhone, and it looked so good. And this one looks like that. So. I love it I would not I would not pick black I think I want to see the colors more because mm-hmm. I think I would pick the blue but let me tell you the black iPhone 12 it's it's gorgeous and you would think it would be boring um, but it's not it's the it's the graphite 12 pro that's that's boring what color did Adina get
0: uh, Pacific blue
1: oh right right so how is that I like it a
0: lot um, I think I like it about as much as I like the uh, midnight green where right. it's like this is different i like the way that this looks um and it's it's got a i kind of i i i'm trying to pick the words here because i'm not trying to say that if you pick another color this isn't you but the the midnight green and the pacific blue both have this kind of like adult fashion forward feel to them where they are not big bright and bold colors but they are colors And they go a lot more with other clothing because they're more dull, and you only really catch the color in certain lights. So I think that that blue is really nice. Adina has a plum case, and it looks excellent. So I think with some of these, with the midnight green and the Pacific blue, more than any other iPhone, you can really make it look good of a case, in my opinion, where you just see the little pops of color come through, because they are, you can make pairings with them, where if you have silver or black, it's just like, well, whatever, like any color will go with it because they're so neutral. Um, So I, I think that the blue is really nice I'm still into the gold big time personally. I oh, mean, yeah. uh, I've, you know, I've seen images of it. I've seen it like again through a window. Uh, I just think it looks super good. I'm very into that. But I, I also do. I just, I really like the the blue. If the gold didn't exist, or if the gold was more like a regular gold blue is what i would have gone with because i was such a fan of the midnight green and i think that the pacific blue is to blue what the midnight green was to green you know like they are very different to the colors that are on the 12 but i think apple chose a very very good overall look for that um, and i think that the uh, the rails and the back they match really nicely where maybe on some of the other phones there is a mismatch to it good and bad right like i think the gold for example the the gold rails the stainless steel rail is way more gold than the back but on the blue they match it very well actually mm. so I th- and again similarly to the green the stainless steel green that goes around the the green uh, 11 pro matches or the 11 pro yeah matches very nicely so i think that the blue is a is a good call for people that go for it um you know i've seen people enjoy the silver and i completely understand why because it's like any other silver iphone i I used to be a white and silver iphone person for a long time Mm -hmm. uh, as well but yeah i think the blue is a the blue is a good call
1: and fundamentally it's a it's a personal choice i think what's interesting now is that if you if you like those kinds of muted colors or not colors then then the pro is your choice and if you prefer something that is a little more uh you know eye-popping then the non-pro is your choice which is I could make the argument a little unfortunate because you're basically, if you have an aesthetic preference and a a tech spec preference for something like the camera, <laughs> you have to choose between them. Yeah. Um, I get why Apple wants consistency here. I am, you know, and it's already clear. I, I am firmly aesthetically on the side of the iPhone 12 and, um, and muted colors if if you're into that if you if you want it to be there or somebody uh, just in the discord just said you know it doesn't shout i have a new iphone which i think is a fair point like yeah. not everybody wants this and if you wrap it in a case you, people aren't going to notice anyway and so it doesn't matter at all what the color of your phone is because it's hidden in a case um that all said i you know i find it boring mm-hmm. i find it boring and mm-hmm. i find apple's reluctance to put any color or any appreciable color like I know last year there was the green now there's the blue but it's like the subtlest it's it's a dark grayish green or blue like it's super subtle and muted and this is Apple's belief apparently is that a professional product shouldn't have color and if it does have color it should just have a very very light touch of it that's a take I I don't agree And I think they're, I think they're kind of boring and I think the iPhone 12s look great. And honestly, the stainless steel, so it's shiny Mm -hmm. and, um, it's a, it's an enormous fingerprint magnet. It's super Mm -hmm. gross. Mm -hmm. And the, and the anodized aluminum on the, uh, on the 12 is, is matte and holds, uh, out against fingerprints incredibly well. Looks better, I think. The back of the 12 is shiny, which means it's a fingerprint magnet there. And it's, it's a matte on the back of the 12 pro. So you can't see the fingerprints so much on the back of the 12 pro. However, I think the shiny 12 back is more grippy because your fingers just kind of like your fingertips Mm -hmm. just kind of hold on. And here's the funny thing about my phone. I'm never looking at the back. I'm looking at the sides and the front. Mm-hmm. I very rarely look at the back. And when I look at the back and I see fingerprints, I just kind of wipe it off on my shirt or my pants and then and then I move on with my life. I have been using it caseless, by the way, right. which I, I haven't used a phone caseless since the, uh, the 6 came out and was a bar of soap. And I'm loving that too. Are you using it
0: caseless because you feel like you can or is it because you yes. want to? Are you, because
1: okay. both, both. Because I feel like I can, again, because it feels a little... Uh, more comfortable in my hand and less slippy. Mm-hmm. And because I do prefer it, I prefer seeing it without a case and I prefer the weight without a case and the size without a case. That's another thing, by the way, the 12 Pro is surprisingly noticeably heavier than the 12. It is a heavier phone. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's so much of this is just personal preference and, and it's your personal style choice and aesthetics or maybe your priority about the cameras. But um, I immediately gravitated toward the 12 and like the 12 better.
0: I have come to a uh, conclusion personally about the fingerprints on the sides because this seems to be something that everyone's talking about right now. Uh, I mean, the 11 Pro is the same, right? There's fingerprints all over the sides of my phone because it's still stainless steel. People are maybe noticing it more because it's flat right now. But like, honestly- This will not be a thing that I or anybody cares about after like two weeks of owning the phone. Like yeah, if you're taking a bunch of glamour shots for your phone of your phone to put online, you will see the fingerprints. But so I, I have know. two
1: two responses to that. One is the curved edge of the previous model hides the fingerprints better. Maybe. Because the light because the light bends around it and so you have inconsistent light around it. And second, I've never been tempted to carry my iphone 11 pro without a case <laughs>
0: right you see but i have been caseless on my 11 pro for months now so like you know i can look at the side of my phone right now and i can see it's covered in fingerprints but i i kind of i kind of don't care about it really all right um we had a question from Mamali's in the discord one for each of us uh jason is the millimeter wave window as ugly in person as it looks in the photos. So this is like a little cutout in the sides of the phones uh, for millimeter wave in America for five
1: G. Are you bugged by that at all? Um, well, on the, <laughs> it's different in the different models, right? Yep. Like on on my iPhone 12 Pro, it's this fairly light. The stainless steel is this fairly light material, and then the millimeter wave cutout is black, and so it really stands out, and I think is less attractive on my uh, black iPhone 12 you know it is not a perfect match for the uh, for the the aluminum mm-hmm. but it's also matte and it's also black or a very very dark gray and essentially is a match with the um, with the wake sleep button right so aesthetically I'd say it's fine on the 12 and on the 12 pro i would say aesthetically it is less attractive okay
0: that makes sense because of the mismatch in material right
1: yeah and probably every color has a different story to tell there and i don't know because i only have the two i've
0: seen pictures and some of them are better than others yeah um and Molly's also asked about for me in the european union uh the regulatory markings so there's like these little etched regulatory markings on the side I don't think you'd see them unless you're looking for them. You can see them if you want to look at them, but like, I barely notice them. I can see them on Adina's phone because I, you know it's like there they are, but I would not. It would not bother me personally. Um, what else have we got? Like, I want to jump ahead real quick because we were talking about comparing these two, uh, and I, I, there's a lot more to get into, which we will but there's kind of like a concluding line that I've been thinking about that I wanted to share with you now, kind of like how I have interpreted what the reviews that I've seen and from my own mm-hmm. usage of the 12 Pro. This These two phones, depending on where you're coming from, there's, there might not be a lot of, of, of enhancement for you. Like if you're coming from the 11 to the 12, you're making a nice jump, right? Or, you know, because you've got the OLED screen and, and all that kind of stuff and the new size and new design. If you're coming from the 11 Pro, it's new design and some small tweaks here and there, right? This feels like these two phones are the baseline for the reviews of this generation, because the Mini and the Max, that's where the excitement is, right? Because these two phones have different things. The Mini... Who knows what that's going to be like, right? No one has any idea at the moment how it is going to feel to use an iPhone 10 size design phone in that size. It could be fantastic or terrible. And I bet it is both depending on your own personal opinions, right? I'm really excited to see the reviews of that phone because it's going to be all over the map. And then the Max, what is that camera going to be like? Right, like there is a lot of expectation placed on that because that is super interesting. It could be a mammoth leap, right? Be- in, because of the stuff they're doing with the sensor. So, like these are the two poles where the reviews are going to get, I think, really interesting. And so it's kind of funny that like we have this. We have a baseline now, you know, all of the phones have these features and we're going to talk about them. And that is your typical year over year improvement to the iPhone. But then on the ends, which are coming in a few weeks time, this is where we're going to start to see the not normal year over year improvement, right? Like what we have in the 12 and the 12 Pro, more in the 12 Pro really is an S model phone. Right, because the, as I say, the twelve from the eleven—that's really interesting as an upgrade. But the eleven mm. Pro to the twelve Pro, well, I mean, like in the sense of like you get an OLED screen, right, and the new design. There's more going on there if you're coming no, from an eleven.
1: I, I guess my 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 complaint about what you're saying—I get what you're saying—in the sense that we've seen the mainstream. But not the edges. Mm -hmm. And the edges are more interesting because they they have some real differences. Whereas these two mainstream phones are now almost exactly the same, Mm -hmm. right? They use the same cases. They're the same size, even if their weight is slightly different and one of them has a few extra features. They're essentially the same phone. Yeah. Uh, and the style differences. But that's the beauty of having these opposite styles on these two models is they're essentially the same phone. So choose what style you like yep. and how much you want to pay. Um, where I disagree is saying they're essentially S-class S, S- class phones because you could argue from a an industrial design standpoint that this is the biggest change right. in the iPhone in... In many years, in yeah. like six years, the design. Because the design
0: is where where my analogy falls apart. There, so let's see. If we take that part out, where I said about the S line, what what I'm really trying to say is, it's like these two phones have set the baseline for all four, and then from there there's some differences, right? But these two phones are like, this is the iPhone 12 line this year. All of yeah. them have this stuff. And then on the mini and the max, we're going to start to see things that are maybe more polarizing, more more interesting. But I agree with you that like, a design change is always a good thing. It's always an interesting thing. It's always a thing that makes people want to buy phones. But this mm-hmm. is like a design change, which is really
1: great uh, and is wanted yeah well it's it's funny too because i in my review which is not finished yet i talk about how there have been these eras of iphone design and there's like the early era there's the original iphone and then the 3g 3gs and then there's the like four and five era where they had the flat sides and then there's the six through last year era (laughs) six years of that um but This is a new era, but it's also going back to that four and five era, right? Like these are, these are recognizably the same phone as the iPhone four and five. They really are. The design is very much the same. Um, and so it's kind of a reversion, but I love that design. And I think it was the best iPhone design, so I'm very happy that it's back.
0: I'm in Camp Five, by the way. I know, like a lot of people talk about the four as the best design. I am definitely in like five, and 5S yeah. S is my favorite. Well, the
1: five, the, the five is better, but, you know, maybe my favorite iPhone is that black iPhone five, mm-hmm. um, because it, yeah, it got bigger and all that, but it was still the same design language as the four. It was just a, a taller phone, and yeah, it, mm-hmm. so it was better. But you kind of need to credit the four because the four is where it came in, mm-hmm. but. I I agree with you about the edge cases. I think think it will be interesting to see those reviews. However, I will say that my bet is that they won't be as interesting as you might think. Because my bet is going to be that the reviews of the mini are... Yep, this is an iPhone 12, but it's kind of small. It's smaller than you think. And so for most people, you should probably get the 12 and not the mini, which will be true because I think the 12 is the mainstream model and the mini is kind of a an outlier model. But that'll be saying, how those reviews yeah, go. And the max reviews will me. be like, you know, the camera, yeah, the camera's better, but it's not, as, it's not dramatically better. Uh, you know, it's a little bit better than on the 12 Pro. So you could... You know, I just that's that's my bet is that I don't think that these are going to be revelatory because I think Apple would have said if they were. I think they're going to be incremental. You know, the difference being that they're incremental within the same release year instead of what Apple usually does, was which is make those increments from year to year. But that's that's just my guess is that these will be, you know. I'm still interested to see them because I think that both of these phones are fascinating. I think the reaction to the Mini is especially going to be fascinating. But um, it wouldn't surprise me if the reviews are, are not quite as interesting as you might hope they are.
0: But CC, the things that you just said, that's really interesting to me. Okay, like even because like just people saying the mini is not as great as you might think it is. It's too small of an iPhone. I find that like fascinating. uh, Well, we'll see. That's just my guess. That's my
1: prediction. I've never held one in my hand, but that's my prediction is that that's what those articles are going to ultimately say is that because they're going to be written by tech reviewers who've used all the products and they're going to look at the small phone and be like, yeah, it's nice that it's small, but it's too small and the and uh, then there'll be people who will be like how dare you say it's too small tech reviewer you just don't understand i mean we know how the internet works right mm-hmm. but i do think it will find a uh it will find it will find an a audience. loyal and, following and, many and then on the, on the on the on the high end with the pro max i, I was looking at the uh the Austin Man review of the iPhone mm-hmm. uh, 12 Pro camera which is great and people should check it out um but what i found interesting is he makes these beautiful images and he shows like off some of the great features that have been updated, including some of the night mode stuff. But then there are other features that Apple's like, Oh, there's going to be more, um, this new optics, there's more detail around the edges of the camera. And he has a one line kind of dismissal of that where he's like, yeah, not so yeah, maybe, but not so you'd notice. Like, he's just like, well, that's not. So some of the Apple's features, he's like, yes, Apple did this and other features he kind of shrugs at. And I just, I was thinking about the pro max and thinking, he might lose his mind over the different sensor and the image stabilization in the Pro Max. But, you know, my guess is that it will be more measured. My guess is that it'll be more like, yeah, it's better. Mm. Like, but I, I don't think I I. anyway, I am skeptical that the Pro Max is going to come in and everybody's going to be like, oh, my God, the camera on the Pro Max is so much better than the camera on the regular Pro f- that any photographer should all should just buy a Pro Max. I, I right. I'm. I'm dubious of that. I think it's going to be subtler than that. And the real reason you buy the Pro Max is maybe because uh, photography matters to you, but also because you want the big phone, which is fine. Can we talk about the
0: camera a little bit? I have a few thoughts. You know, like I've taken a bunch of pictures and some video. Um, Overall, I would say that the photos that I've taken uh, with Adina's phone and the video. Um, much more vivid in color in a way that I really like. Uh, there's more contrast, more color, a little more detail in certain places, especially in indoors. So, like, you know, what Apple's saying about the benefits that they're seeing there, I completely agree with. Uh, the, the HDR video looks fantastic. I, I, I took just some video, I basically put both my iPhone and her iPhone side by side and kind of walked around my studio and Uh played them back on the devices, and even, like, transferred her video to my phone, you immediately see the difference. You can really see where the HDR is kicking in. Like, I take it near some light sources, and you can see where the phone is illuminating. Um, It's really, like, really cool. that The HDR video is awesome. My favorite thing, though, I'm surprised about is night mode portraits. So portrait mode Uh and night mode combined, this is a thing that it does now. They have this really, like there's a great example of this in Austin man's uh, photo review and I've been able to produce some of these myself. They have this like dreamy look to them. like it's kind of like like blurry but illuminated in just the right places. like I really like the look of night mode portraits in a way that I wouldn't have expected. Um, but basically like overall, even without like a ton of new hardware, I mean they've changed some the stuff in the lenses and then they've done a bunch of software stuff. I think that the camera improvements are exactly what I would want—more um, detail, more contrast, more color. Like they're the three things that I'm always looking for. Like I do not profess to know a lot about photography, but over the last couple of years, I have focused more on like using iPhone apps to edit photos. And my personal tastes are for bright colors. I like color and saturation in my images. It's just what I like, and I feel like that the iPhone 12 Pro for me. Is more readily producing images that have more color in them, and so i'm I'm really happy with it. I think it's a it's a great improvement in the images that I've taken. The video is bananas good uh, i'm and again, so I just remain excited about what the max will have and if and how it will show more uh, improvement. What is your experience with the camera so far? any difference?
1: I've reached the point where I have a very hard time noticing differences mm-hmm. between iPhone models. They, you know, I I it, it we've long since left the period. I, there are still moments I haven't done an HDR video test. There's probably something there because I remember really when they cool. went to, when I when they went to extended dynamic range, which they very specifically didn't call HDR because it wasn't, and also because they knew they were going to be adding H- true HDR later. When they went to extended dynamic range, you could see the difference, and I would imagine that, as you said, you can see it even even more. The idea that it is sampling, probably uh, bracketing images, and doing all sorts of very clever things to expand the dynamic range. And for people who don't know, essentially, our eyes are really good at seeing things in brightness and darkness simultaneously, and cameras are really bad at that. And so when they're they're doing tricks to make the cameras better at approximating what we actually can see with our eyes. And that especially means things like a scene with bright sunlight and dark shadows and being able to get the details in both, which we do naturally as human beings with vision that uh, cameras are bad at. So uh, I would imagine that they have taken it further, but again, I have not done a lot of shots of that and I am kind of at wit's end when it comes to iPhone photography because I've gotten to the point now where I I do the sample tests uh, on different models and I look at them and I can't tell the difference. And, then, and so I rely on people like Austin Mann who are photographers who can actually say, you know, yes. Because the answer is they look good and that yes, the things that Apple claims in terms of improved uh, portrait mode, improved uh, night mode and night mode portrait mode for the first time using the lidar scanner on the pro yeah like all that stuff is there and i'm impressed by it i was impressed by night mode last year too but beyond that you know i don't know i use my iphone camera now and basically don't use my slr because the iphone camera is so good but beyond that i I don't you know i don't have anything else to say about like comparing them because it's very hard for me to tell if what I'm seeing is a difference in the in the minutiae of the moment-to-moment shots of the two cameras or if it's actually something happening. It's just like when we were struggling trying to figure out if deep fusion was happening. It's like it's yeah. really hard to tell. It's really hard to tell. Just they look good and they look better than last year. And most people who are buying this phone are coming from a, a camera that's two, three, four years older, and they're going to see a big difference but you know, from year to year, it just gets incrementally better and the increments build up and most people don't buy a new phone every year.
0: Last thing before we finish up for now on the iPhone 12 line, how do you
1: feel about MagSafe? I, I mean, it's, I like it. It seems nice. Um, the magnet snapping on. So, you know, that you've got a connection is very useful that said, I had the MagSafe down on my counter, and before I went to bed, I laid the uh, the iPhone 12 on it, you know, kind of old school style, like the charging mats, and and felt like I had gotten the snap, and I came out in the morning, and it had not connected, so. <laughs> well, to get that then, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, it's... It's a nice idea. I have a problem with the idea that Apple has not put a plug. I mean, so the plug charger in the box of all of these. Like, I get it. It's fine. It is very strange that Apple has done that at the same time that they put a USB-C cable in the box. Because you know what we all have a lot of? USB-A charging connectors, not USB-C charging connectors. USB-C charging connectors, I don't have that many of them. And I've got iPad Pros that have them, like I don't have that many of them. And so the struggle with the MagSafe is that is a USB-C connector. And unlike the iPhone where you can just go find your lightning to USB-A connector and use that instead, that thing only will take a USB-C connector. So I had to pull an adapter that I was using somewhere else out and put it in my kitchen where I charge my devices and plug it into the wall there. And uh, you know, I don't know, it's just kind of a pain. But I did it and then uh, it works great and I like the idea of MagSafe and having a whole bunch of different accessories come out for it. I think that's all perfectly good. But I don't know. I, I the, the the power adapter thing kind of annoys me, especially on the MagSafe. Like I get it, the packaging is much smaller, but like it's USB C. In the end it's not gonna matter, but right now it does kind of matter. Even even in my house that's very tech centric most of the excess charging plug capacity we have is USB A not USB C
0: we bought uh two magsafe things and spent like i spent like half an hour looking for a spare one of those with the USB C end i just kept coming across USB A plugs and ended up finding one in a backpack somewhere like similarly right like i have lots of charging adapters power adapters have USB A ends on them, but not so many with USB C ends. Um, you know, you you want to you want to rip the aid off at a certain point, but maybe one more year <laughs> when we got USB C. But whatever, like yeah, then it's like, what about the people three years before? It's a thing that's frustrating to lots of people. I I, I can see why they're doing it, but you know, as we said before, it, it frustrates me that it's it's it is clearly a cost
1: saving measure as well. You know. Yeah. Well. I I just think that they did it wrong. I think last year they should have put a USB charger in the box with a USB C cord, and mm-hmm. it was but it wasn't right. It was a USB a charger last year. Yeah. See, Maybe. that's that's I, I oh yeah. I guess I we don't should know look. Anymore. That's the right thing. To, the right thing to do is seed the world with USB-C chargers and then take the charger out of the box. Yeah.
0: But then the argument would be, which to understand, is the year-over-year upgrade is not necessarily the right place to do that anyway.
1: It's true. You're right, because they're not... Uh, anyway, yes. The, ideally, they should have switched to USB-C chargers several years ago. Uh, the That's Discord said, is telling that us
0: that the Pro lines had USB-C last
1: year. The regular Ugh. ones had USB-A. Ugh. Anyway, you're right that most people aren't upgrading from last year's model anyway. No. So it's just, it's an unfortunate confluence of things that they put a USB-C cord in the box, but the chargers most people have are USB-A. It's just... My mm. main frustration with MagSafe is how short the cable is. It is. It's a meter. It is. And you can't extend it, right? It's just... Mm-hmm. That's not the, big it, enough. Because you can't disconnect it. Yeah, it's not It's not very flexible. Uh, you know, it's only a matter of time before there's a, a MagSafe, a three-meter <laughs> MagSafe a compatible charger on Amazon or something like that. It may be there already. i Who hope knows? so. Cuz like we really had to like do some gymnastics to to like snake
0: it up the back of the bedside cabinet, right? Like it, it was not uh it was not easy. So that's the iPhone 12. I mean, obviously, we're not done, right? We'll be talking about the Mini and Max in a few weeks' time, I think. So I'm excited about that. But yeah, these are interesting phones. The design, I think, is the real uh, the real king here. But it depends on what colors you want to go for. I think that's super cool. And uh, I really like flat sides. I'm looking forward to having uh, my phone every day be like that, rather than one that I can just steal every now and again.
1: Yes, well... I'm looking forward to getting my hands on the Mini mm. because I'm still intrigued by the idea of having a smaller iPhone. Although I will say that I, I do love the 12. Um, it's really great. And it may, it's going to be harder for the Mini to sort of dislodge me from the 12. But I am intrigued by it.
0: This episode is brought to you by Pingdom from SolarWinds. Do you have a website? Does your website have a shopping cart, registration forms, or contact us pages? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you need Pingdom. Nobody wants their critical website transactions to fail. This could mean a bad experience for your users and lost business for you. But the good news is, you can set up transaction monitoring with Pingdom. This will alert you when... Forms, checkouts, login pages don't work before they affect your customers and your business. Pingdom will let you know that these things aren't working in whatever way is best for you, and you can customize how you're alerted and who is alerted depending on the outage severity so the right person can get to work to fix the problem. Pingdom cares about your users having the best and smoothest site experience possible. And if disaster strikes, you'll be the first to know. Well, second, Pingdom will know first, and they're going to tell you. It's super easy to get started. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. Then when you sign up, use the code UPGRADE at checkout to get a huge 30% off your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom from SolarWinds for for their support of this show and RelayFM. Are you ready for some hashtag ask upgrade questions? Our first question this time comes from Marcelo. Marcelo wants to know, Jason, what tools do you use for publishing six colors?
1: Uh, WordPress. That's it. These days, uh, WordPress and custom templates that I took me months to build. I wrote about this on six colors. Um, I spent like six months working on custom templates and working with the people at Automatic who helped out. Uh, I've got plugins uh, and all sorts of custom stuff inside of WordPress. And I've paid to have a couple custom WordPress plugins written for me, uh, put all together or modifying existing plugins. There's a lot of stuff going on there. But we moved from movable type to WordPress, uh, mostly because it allows me to do a whole bunch of membership features and have people log in if they're supporters and they see different stuff. And if you're not logged in, you see different stuff. And um, and uh, it's been great. What app am- do you use to send the text? Do you just
0: paste it into the uh, like into the web? Like, w- where are you getting from computer to, you know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, so on the iPad, I modified all of my shortcuts to use the posting API for WordPress, which is essentially the same posting API as for movable type, because they're both using this old posting standard, XML RPC. So that was super convenient. I I got to I thought I was gonna have to throw away all the work I did to post removable type via shortcuts on the iPad, and it turns out I didn't. It was a it was a shockingly simple change to get it all to work on WordPress. Um, on the Mac, I mostly write in BBEdit, and then I can paste that in either to uh, the web page CMS for WordPress, or I use Mars Edit from Red Sweater Software which works great with WordPress. Works better with WordPress than it did with movable type, honestly, because we had hacked movable type to do a bunch of things that MarsEdit was less happy about, whereas it all works just fine with WordPress. It doesn't surprise me as well,
0: though. Smooth yeah. little oh, no, what type you're using with a billion years old.
1: Yes, yes. <laughs> with modification. The modifications were really the killer. It's yeah. like adding adding custom fields that were not necessarily seen by Mars Edit. But Mars Edit sees all of the custom fields and stuff that we've got in the WordPress version. So I use Mars Edit some of the time. I think Dan writes mostly in Mars Edit. I do a lot of BB Edit stuff and then just paste it in to the CMS or into Mars Edit. But um but on the iPad it's great. I have whether I'm writing in drafts or in OneWriter, I have a like a keyboard shortcut that just pops it right into um, the CMS and opens the web page in WordPress with it ready to go out. Nice. And then I can check it out and preview it and do whatever, but it's in there kind of automatically. Got a
0: Kremlinology, Oh my gosh, Kremlinology! There we go. has a charm. A Kremlinology question from Yitz who wants to know: Do you think Apple might have actually filmed all two or all three Apple events at the same time, or at least the parts that involve the same people? Like, do you think they wrapped one and started a whole new one, or do you think there was a continuation?
1: I think they wrapped one and started a new one.
0: Like they didn't. They didn't film them at the same time
1: no and the reason I say that is first off, I think it makes more sense because there are different events with different people involved and mm-hmm. some of the same people, but also, I would say you would you know you could shoot all of Tim Cook's stuff at at once, but you'd need Tim Cook to change his wardrobe and like you'd want it to seem like a different event, not a rerun of the previous event so that's my guess um is that uh, my guess is that they are in continuous production. <laughs> Of these things, especially if there's a third one, but that they probably, unless there was a very specific scheduling thing, but nobody's really traveling much. um, My guess is that they, they probably have a schedule with all the different stuff, but that they prioritize sort of like, this is for number one. And then as they wrap number one, they moved on to number two. And presumably as they wrap number two, they moved on to number three. That's just a guess. Yeah. my guess, but my guess is that it, it is. If you, if you do it as one production, you have to have all the scripts run, run ahead of time, which means that they would have needed everything for all three events before they started doing event one. I doubt that they work that way, even if they know what the products are. That's a huge amount of work to do in advance of the set, whereas you can have it be, if you think of it as a... a, a uh, an assembly line or a conveyor belt like the people who are working on the script and then they pass that off and then it goes to production and then they pass that off and they shoot it and then it goes to post-production and then coming right behind that is number two and then presumably coming behind that is number three um just kind of makes sense to do it that way so my gut feeling is they didn't shoot all of tim cook's introductions for the entire falls event also because like tim's right over there in his office and he can just. He, Tim Cook would probably prefer a few shorter photo shoots or video shoots mm-hmm. To Also, keep in mind they have to be familiar with their scripts and stuff. So you're going to give people even more script to record. I, I think it breaks down. So I don't know that for sure. It's possible. But my guess would be that they didn't shoot these yep. that way.
0: So I think there's a few things at play here. One – uh stuff changes as well right so like especially with some of these products i'm sure they were going up to the wire on some of them so you would maybe want to give yourself as much time as possible the
1: Um, the weather changes too what if it rains one day and then it's sunny another day and and, or it's like a the smoke came in one day and then it's clear another day and you're weird and you're like well wait that was on a smoky day and like i I don't think i think they want to keep i'm not saying they shoot it all on the same day but i'm saying you, you know if you shoot it in a A compressed amount of time, it's going to seem a little more unified without you having to do work to fake it.
0: Yeah. And also, as well, throughout the presentations, you can tell that they got a little bit more relaxed about like social distancing as things became Mm, that's true, too, a little bit more uh, feasible. People could understand what they were able to do, more people were allowed to be actually at Apple Park, because there's, there's more scenes where it seems like people are in the space with each other. right? Um, and also, like, those warnings at the end have changed. Uh, right. Like, the warnings that they're doing at the end. So there's no way they could have filmed all at the same time. Uh, there's a possibility that they may have shared some, some like, time, I think, between the two most recent events, but no way was there anything done from WWDC1 at the same time like shown later on, I don't think. For sure. Steve says do you have any interest in a bumper-style case making a comeback now that we have the flat-side phones again? Uh, I love those, and they would make a lot of sense if you wanted to show off your new color and make use of the new MagSafe charging system. It's a good idea. Bumper cases have existed ever since the iPhone 4, right? Companies continue to make them. And, you know, I know people have used them, um, there's a few companies. I think one of them that I've seen that I've, I think I tried one once and didn't like it uh, it as a company called Rhino shield. Like I just didn't like it on that particular phone. And, uh, they are back again with their bumpers, but I think maybe now it makes more sense again that people might want bumper cases, but I wondered kind of like, is this a, is that
1: a case style that still appeals to you? I'm not sure it ever really appealed to me. Right. Um, so would I get one? Probably not. Like I've said all the things that I love about the anodized aluminum. If I felt like I really needed a little more production, maybe I would get the bumper case, but I'm I have no plan on it, but I would imagine that um people will make them and that they will be more aesthetically um pleasing on these models, especially the on the twelves where they've got the bright colored back. Like my daughter has a purple eleven and she's got it in a clear case and, like, she wants to show up the color, but the clear case is—I don't like the clear case. So something like this that provides a little more protection without um, uh, hiding the color on the back is a good idea. But I'm not interested personally.
0: Yeah, I don't know what it is exactly, but I kind of just— don't particularly feel for this type of case anymore. It's like I don't know why I loved it then, but not now. But now I'm kind of just like, ah, I'm either gonna go with a four case or, or no case. It's oh. kind of how I feel about the matter. Right. And for my, my plan is to go no case uh, on the on the new phone. That's the plan. We'll see how that goes. Okay. I have ordered a new pop socket for it. Uh, I'm you know I, I'm I'm keeping the pop socket life going. I'm uh, not changing that for the time being. And I'm just waiting to see if or what would be a possibility for me for MagSafe. I don't know if I've been actually thinking, I'm not sure if PopSocket are actually making a magnetic pop socket or if they are making a pop socket that works with MagSafe, right? That you still adhere something to your phone, but like MagSafe will still work. I actually think that is more likely what they're doing than making um, a pop socket that attaches with magnets because I don't think it's strong. I don't think it's going to be strong enough. And I think maybe they know that. Uh, Dave asks, I don't record geotag data on photos because I don't want to risk it remaining when I share photos. How do you manage this? Multiple ways. So uh, there's a few things going on here. One, uh, when you share a photo with somebody in the share sheet on iOS, there is a little button, a text label called options at the top of the share sheet. Mm -hmm. If you tap that, it gives you the option to uncheck location. So therefore, when you share it, it will wipe the location metadata from the photo for you. So you can share it with somebody in a message or however, and it will will remove it. And I think there's a way to make that the global setting, I believe, but I'm not 100% sure on that one, but you can turn it off. Uh, Many apps like Twitter actually remove the metadata from the image when it's uploaded. So if somebody shares an image to Twitter and you download it, you don't get the location information, even if they didn't do anything. I have also built a shortcut to do this because sometimes I'll take photos and share them in show notes and stuff at, at full resolution. Uh, I will try to share a link to that shortcut in the show notes for you. It's a very simple one. It just removes the metadata and asks where you want to put it. So uh, I will I will try and generate a link for that
1: shortcut and put it in the show notes. Do you have anything different on this, Jason? Do you ever think about this? No, and no, you you've shown it. Like, you have options to Mm -hmm. not share with location. That's it.
0: Last question today from Daniel. When you get a new phone, do you set it up as new or do you transfer? And if you transfer, how?
1: Uh, I transfer it. And I actually did it with iCloud and with a direct device-to-device transfer Mm because I had the two phones on Tuesday. And the iCloud transfer went way faster than the device-to-device transfer. But um, on Friday... Dan Morin tried the device, the iCloud backup transfer and it took forever. And then he had to quit and then, and then he redid it and then it worked fine. I suspect what happens is Apple servers got a peak of people um, transferring their iCloud backups and that there was a hiccup. And so maybe on iPhone day, it's not as good, but I had a, I had a very good experience with the iCloud backup and the weirdly the device to device transfer seemed to take longer for me, but that's what I do. Um, and you can even plug in a cable between two devices and transfer it that way if you want to do it. There's lots of different ways to do it. You can do it based on a Mac backup, but I generally just use the iCloud backup when I get a new device, and it works great. So with Adina's phone, this
0: is super interesting to me, uh, We I tried to do the device-to-device transfer, but it failed and said that there wasn't enough storage, but that wasn't the case. We had It was a 256-gigabyte iPhone going to a 128-gigabyte iPhone, and there was 46.7 gigabytes used on the 256-gigabyte iPhone. So we were only transferring maximum, like, 50 gigabytes of storage. So I don't know why it wouldn't allow for it. And then the only thing we could do was reset the new phone to factory settings and start again. And then we just did cloud, storage, cloud uh, refresh, and it was super fast and no problem. So I don't know if it's because, like... Because it was going from 256 to 128. But if that's the case, that's madness because we weren't transferring 256 gigabytes of information. But the phone only said it was using 46.7. So that was my, as there is always, a weird setup problem that I encounter. That was this one. but So I'm just going to continue doing the cloud backup because um, it was super fast. I have good internet, right? So... You know, it's I have gigabit internet, so everything was downloading quickly. I was doing it on iPhone launch day; had no problems. So, I think I'll just continue doing the cloud backup, which is what I'd done before.
1: The device-to-device backup was interesting,
0: but it takes a long time as well.
1: Yeah, it's so. it's mostly for people who don't have a good internet connection, yep. or or are data rate limited mm-hmm. in some way, or data capped. So, if you can if you can be on Wi-Fi and it's fast, and you can do iCloud backup, I highly recommend it.
0: If you'd like to send in a question for an episode of the show, just send out a tweet with the hashtag AskUpgrade or use question mark AskUpgrade in the RelayFM members' Discord. If you'd like to become a Relay FM member and support Upgrade directly and get additional content on the show with no ads, just go to GetUpgradePlus.com. So you get Upgrade, longer episodes, no ads. What a great deal. $5 a month. Go to GetUpgradePlus.com. Com. if you want to find jason online go to sixcolors.com. jason will be publishing his uh more details about his thoughts on the iphone and an iphone 12 review probably later on this week i'm yeah. gonna say uh jason is also at Jasonell snell on twitter i'm at imike i-m-y-k-e thank you to pingdom doordash and hover for their support of this episode and for you for listening we'll be back next time until then say goodbye jason snell
1: bye my curly